0: I told Adam he had like a last year the like what are our goals? I want to work in code dev conference <laughs> where all just we all just go to Cabo. We go to Cabo like San Lucas. We we rent a big house and we all present on some crap. Doesn't matter. We'll just you know tell our employers like yeah I'm speaking at this conference and uh, yeah we hang out for like three days in Cabo and. I don't know how the sponsors would feel about this.
1: Like, wait. <laughs> uh, I show up, yeah, they show I'm up. Sure it's we... like there's like ten of you. What's going on here?
2: You're listening to Working Code, and now your hosts, who wish they were Boolean, so the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim.
3: Okay, here we go. It is show number one sixteen, and on today's show, we're going to discuss the state of developer conferences with friend of the show Brian Rinaldi. Hi, Brian. Hello. Ah, there hey, you. Brian. So, actually, before we do our usual jump into triumphs and fails, why don't you just give us a quick introduction? Who are you, and what do you? Why Why do you have stuff to say about conferences?
1: So, my day job is I'm a developer experience engineer at LaunchDarkly. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, <laughs> so. I've been doing DevRel stuff for like long, long time, twelve years. And why about conferences specifically is because I've been running conferences for about fifteen years, which you know wow. makes me seem old and I am actually old. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I, I started some of y'all may remember this one, like Flex Camp Boston was my first mm-hmm. event about fifteen years ago. And and I've run since then I've run a ton of events like both in person, online, you know, I I've run like company events, like big corporate like our our big corporate event or I've run small like, you know, community type events and <laughs> I mean, like I said, you, you you name it I've run a conference or some other kind of event like that. I've run local meetups as well. So I've been deeply involved in events and various levels both running them and speaking at them and so on so mm-hmm.
3: and so you have a lot of experience to draw on and and you have some conclusions or some some theories that you've drawn on the current state of developer conferences and, and I'll say how yeah.
0: I found him so I have a a daily newsletter that I read called TLDR it's all tech kind of stuff and uh, I'm scrolling through I've been reading this for probably the past year and a half and I'm scrolling through and looking at all the articles and I'm like it says, State of Developer Conferences, Brian Rinaldi. I'm like, wait, 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 I, I know this guy.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know this guy. So I sent him a message like, hey, saw your thing on, on the newsletter. He's like, I, I haven't heard of that one. So I sent him the the TLDR. And uh, yeah, so I was like, we got to have you on the show. If, if you're getting quoted by by a, what I think is actually a pretty prevalent newsletter, then we got to have you on the show. So thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't even, it's not that you think it's like, I, I hadn't heard of it, but oh my God, it's. Like, I'm at the very bottom of that newsletter, and it sent thousands of people. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. Wow.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Your blog should be getting some hits.
1: It did, yeah.
3: Okay, but, uh, you know, as usual, we're going to start with our Triumphs and Fails, and Ben, I'm going to start with you. All right. (laughs) That good, huh? Wow, that good, huh?
2: This is not a personal failure per se, but yesterday it was announced at work. They were going through another round of layoffs. Oh, we, we had a, a massive reduction in force last July. We cut about 60% of the company. And yesterday, unfortunately, we had to let go, I think, of about like another 10%. Mm. And we lost some really great engineers, w- one of which particularly near and dear to me, this guy Joel Hill, who's been at the company for over nine years, just an amazing guy. and just It's just heart-wrenching to see good people let go, especially when it, you know, as Tim, as Tim talked about in one of the previous episodes, it has nothing to do with performance. You know, it's just literally trying to cut costs and there's no easy way to do it. And, you know, you're not drawing straws per se, but like you're basically figuring out which services can run basically unattended for (laughs) the most amount of time. And, and, you know, it sucks. So. That was that's horrible, but I don't want to be like a complete downer. So I do want to have one positive vibe, which is that I am proud of myself for sticking with. I'm continuing to research the Hotwire framework, and as I've talked about before, it, it, it feels very weird to be learning something from scratch. I haven't really done that in a long time, so it's a lot of ups and downs. And you know, one day I'm like, oh, this is stupid. Like I'm just going to go back to Angular. And then I'm like, no, let me just stick with it. Let me just stick with it. And then I find some cool stuff, and and it's kind of this up and down, but. I'm just excited to be learning something new, putting some more fresh information, fresh ideas in my head. So at least I got that. That's nice.
3: A little bit of balance.
2: Yeah, exactly. Not all doom and gloom. So (laughs) that's me. Adam, what do you got going on?
3: So we talked not too long ago about me falling on the sword of SOC 2. That's expanded, actually, by the way. So now in addition to SOC 2, I'm also handling some PCI compliance work, which also involves getting a penetration test, like an official, a person sitting at a desk trying to penetrate our applications, which is... I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got some connotation, <laughs> but that's what the industry calls it. I call it pen test. Sounds better. Sure. But so it's not, it's a whole thing. I, I couldn't tell you the day that was the last day that I wrote code at work. Hmm. I, you know, I've wrote code today, but it was personal time, you know, me project code. Because I, I got it, right? I'm not going to... <laughs> go a whole week without writing any code. It's I'll, I'll get the itch. But so the the triumph here is because of the sock two project. You know we're using some some software that automates finding some of the low hanging fruit, the uh, of compliance, right? So what, like one of the rules is you you have to encrypt data at rest and mm-hmm. in transit too. But the the thing that was problematic for us was we had some S three buckets that were public and unencrypted. Now these buckets that were public were deprecated and no longer used and were intentionally public, but it was like, okay, well, yeah, duh, let's go clean that up. And so I found probably half a dozen S3 buckets with eh, maybe a gig or two of data each in them. So not a ton of money, but I found some money to save. That's the nice. the, the triumph here is because of SOC 2, which I think any engineering person would agree sucks. <laughs> as a as a thing that you have to do, I I found the silver lining, which was it helped me find some money to save. So saw uh, buckets that were public and buckets I could delete and stuff, and and some other stuff. Like you know, as much as it sucks to go through the process of of doing the compliance work, when you find things that are not compliant, it's good to get them compliant. Like the 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 purpose, the end goal is a good thing, but the process of getting there sucks. <laughs> That's what I hate about SOC two. It,
0: it sounds like a lot of paperwork and homework, right? That's oh my the god, thing I hate about it is just it's like, ridiculous. It's like,
3: come on, really? Are we really having to check this? Okay, fine. I'll check the box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're a six-person company, and just the the PCI document that we were doing previously—it's the PCI SAQD, which is a self-attested questionnaire for whatever. So this was, you know, this was just a, a sort of, you know, I promise I got my COVID vaccine, sort of situation, right? right? These are the paperwork you fill out to say I'm doing, I'm following all best practices for even for us, a six-person company was a hundred pages of, of like checklist items. Now there's a lot of duplication in there, but it's just ridiculous. I can't so why imagine. Why do you have to do the D? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> all
0: of our customers, because they use our services for, for credit card stuff, have to do the A, and the A is like one page. It's like five questions and they're done.
3: I, I should ask. I don't know. The D is what we've done in the past. And so because of... I mean, don't forget, too, that you and I are in entirely different industries, right? True. Sure. But I mean, are you
0: ever actually handling the credit card numbers?
3: No. No, we use gateway tokenization providers. So Spreadly or Braintree or, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing where, you know, it, it, it renders on our page. It looks like it's part of our page. But if you dig into the source, it's actually an iframe
0: right. that's
3: there. And, and, you know, they send so goes or, to your network. Right so they send ajax requests out from the, mm-hmm. from within the iframe get the data that they need and then they can pass it back up to the parent and they give us a token that yeah. represents that card card that's been vaulted and then we can use that token to See, our API works the same way and our customers only need to do the A so I'm just I just wonder what the difference is No I mean I appreciate you asking the question and and you know I'm going to as soon as it's not my turn to talk I'm going to mute myself <laughs> and go open my notion doc and write down why are we not doing a yeah, SAQA. because
0: the, the A is super easy it's well, it's basically hosted somewhere else. All the credit card processing is hosted somewhere else. So that's yeah. A, I
3: mean, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is that we have a requirement that we need to be able to support, for example, a phone based charge. So somebody might call and say, "I want to sign up for this event," and it's a you know it's a the president the, the university president or their their wife or somebody. And so this is a VIP, and you want to be like, "Okay, sure," and I just need your credit card information, and I'll get you all set up. Right? You want to yeah, give them that you. white glove service, and so. Right. While the credit card information isn't transiting our networks and being stored on our servers, the person using our application has the information. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that might affect the situation, but that's yeah the only thing I, I can think yeah, of that, that's that, not just that can
0: make a difference. That, that could definitely yeah. make, a, make a difference. So,
3: anyway, the 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 headline here is sock two saves money. So <laughs> I I don't, I, don't really, I don't know about that, but
2: <laughs> yeah, not net. <laughs> It took me a while to understand what encryption at rest even meant because things like RDS, I believe with Amazon, are encrypted in rest, oh and you can God. have S3 encrypted at rest. You have all kinds of things that are encrypted at rest. But when you interact with them via your application code, you don't have to do anything. Like it's just transparently unencrypted for you on the fly. So I'm always like, what's the whole point of having it encrypted at rest? Like, what is it actually adding if someone were to break into the application? Like they can just get all the data. And our security guy finally explained, he's like, no, it's not about breaking into the application. It's like if someone physically broke in to the Amazon data center and stole mm-hmm. the rack that your storage happens to be on, they can't get at it. And I'm like, oh, okay. It just never occurs to me that stuff like that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. I would like to add one more triumph to you, which is, uh, as you talked about last No, no, week. no pilot on. No, no, <laughs> this is rad. Adam talked about in last episode that he was getting glasses and and you can't see it, dear listener. But yeah. he is looking very intelligent and very handsome. So, <laughs> well, Super nerdy. The-
3: I appreciate that. I, I will accept your compliment by saying that at dinner tonight, one of my children told me he thinks I look, what was his word, hideous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the honesty of children out of the mouths of babes. <laughs>
2: oh, kids are the worst
3: they're the best you know it's it's okay (laughs) now look the glasses that i bought including shipping were like 24 dollars. i think 23.95 right so these are el cheapo glasses i just wanted these are my first glasses i've been i've had like 2015 vision my whole life and i just wanted to like verify the fact that having a prescription in front of my eyes was going to make life better and i wanted to do that as cheaply as possible i got something that would be generally a good shape for my face, but these are not the, what I would go in and pick out if I was going to spend $500 on glasses, right? So, you know, we'll see. You know, I'll give them a week or two, see if they make life better, and and then maybe I'll consider investing in something slightly more sophisticated looking or whatever. These are pretty, you know, chunky, just like, you know, sort of Ray-Ban knockoff. He looks like Buddy Holly. <laughs> I do, because I just got my hair cut too. <laughs> yep. Oh, all right. All right, that's enough from me. How about you, Tim? Yeah, so
0: Carol's has something come up, so she's not going to join us. Maybe she'll join later. We'll see. But uh, as far as me, I got another fail. I'm mad about it. So you, you guys know I've been struggling with, with sending text messages. Like, So they keep changing the rules on, on SMS messaging. And I got an email from one of our providers today. And they basically said, look, if you're not registered, and I've been trying to get registered for like six months with these people, if you're not registered by March fifteenth, you won't be able to send any SMS messages from a ten-digit code. They call it uh, uh, its the ten DLC, which is ten-digit long
2: code. Wait, right. you won't be able to send at all, or just a certain at all? They will block.
0: They will block any SMS if you're not registered with the telcos by dis- March fifteenth. They're going to just block. You will not be able to send any. Uh, SMS messages from that and so I have like these outstanding tickets with my provider that I'm like I've asked you like 15 weeks ago register my 800 numbers so I can send text messages and I've not heard anything so I keep like like every day I've been hitting them up you know with with messages and and, but I can't get a hold of anyone so fortunately I have another provider who's a lot more hands-on they're called Plum Voice so I'm gonna see if they can maybe help me out because it's like yeah, it's just it's just frustrating right now because they, but but no, so I'm I'm upset because I know there's this deadline, but knowing how this hall works, the telcos are so far behind that March fifteenth is going to hit, and they will be like, oh, we've extended it. So mm-hmm. I know that's going to happen. So I'm not that worried. But At the same time, I said that I need all this information from my customers because I'm a reseller. And so I need, like, their tax ID. I need all their their legal names. I need a a legal representative that can be... So I have to send this information out. And now they're all upset. Like, are we going to get cut off? Because they make... uh, Our our customers, you know, they're making money because we're sending messages to their insured to say, hey, your car insurance is about to expire. Pay now. And that's... They retain a huge amount of business that way by sending that message. Like, are we going to lose this? I'm like, I don't know. I have no clue. I can't tell you. So I'm just really... SMS rules. Why you keep changing?
3: <laughs> Yo. And yet, I still get three texts a week about yep. my my car's insurance policy mm-hmm. is going to expire mm-hmm. or whatever, and
0: yep, extended warranty. And this, after I just did the whole thing where I built this pool. I mean, I spent a lot of time building this pool of like local numbers that I could like send and like rotate through them. So to make sure that I'm not, you know, sending too quickly or sending. And if it one fails, I shift to another number. I, this whole scheme that I built is going to just completely go in the trash, supposedly on March 15th. So, oh, well, that's unfortunate. For sure. For sure. So yeah, I'm ruining that. But yeah, it gives me something to do. <laughs> so.
3: Job security.
0: Yeah, for sure. <sighs> Sorry about that, Brian. I didn't mean to unload all that. Uh, what, what you got? Do you have a right. triumph or fail? You do you want to join so You didn't discussion? have a,
1: a triumph? No, that's it? No, I had no a fail. Triumph? You can
0: have a triumph or a fail These guys are greedy. They want the double dip. I'm
1: just, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just going with the fail. Uh, okay. I'm going with, you don't have to well, do both. Okay, then I'll I'll just do the fail. I mean it's not a big fail. This is not like I, I will say like listen to you all. I'm like, oh God, that sounds rough. All of those <laughs> things sound rough. Wow, thanks. <laughs> what a, thanks what for a bunch you feel of better. sad sacks. Yeah, appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> My fail is going to be like much, much lighter than that. It's it's more of like a personal failure. Like I, I so you know, I don't have to build like com- big complex things. I build demos for a living, basically. Like it's like, so you know, I come up with the idea and I'm like, hey, I'm going to build this this thing and write an art blog post about it, maybe record a video, whatever. And my idea seemed relatively simple. I was gonna do like I was gonna use state machines within a Svelte app to just manage speaking my UI language. state. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this this should be pretty easy. I was using X State with Svelte, and I'm like, I don't think this is gonna be too difficult. And and my demo, just to kind of add some color to the whole thing, is is actually like gonna be so the idea was I was going to have feature flags and they were going to alter the state. So I was like, "Oh, I'll do a multi-step form where like you could then have a flag that says, okay, I'm testing out this new flow to the form, so I'm going to actually shift somebody to a new branch like basically I'm going to say, "Oh, okay, this you're getting a different version of this form where step 3 for you is is different than step 3 for everybody else to see whatever if it's more effective was kind of the idea." Anyway, so my my form is actually a version of the any of you watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail ever mm-hmm. yeah of course this is the bridge keeper. I call it the bridge keeper form, so the third question keeps changing depending on you know so it's like you know what's your name, what's your quest, and the first one is like what's your favorite color and so if you obviously if you get something wrong, you get thrown into the volcano um, <laughs> yeah, so that's good that's the 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 demo, but anyway. I have been just like sunk way too much time into this. It's been <laughs> so much more difficult to implement than I ever thought it would be. I just could not get the state machine just so to do it. I still haven't figured out like exactly how I'm going to do the. I kind of have an idea how I'm going to do the feature flags. Anyway, it's one of those demos that's probably not worth the amount of time I put into it. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm already this close. I got to finish this thing. So you know the, the you know the semi triumph is that I, I did kind of finally get past the biggest roadblock I was having, which was just like getting X state to work the way I wanted it to, and and so like anyway I I'm past that. It's not it's not fully functioning yet, but but it's it's getting closer. So that's my mini triumph. I someday in the next like few days I might actually get it to work, and this oh is just God. a dumb multi-step form i'm not doing sock to compliance or you know all this.
3: <laughs> you're writing code though yeah, yeah sure. i am
1: writing code not very well apparently but yeah i'm doing it
3: <laughs> oh man i i've touched a little bit of xstate and i didn't even i wasn't the person to implement it in our project but looking at it i was very intimidated i guess is the right word like it seems like a library that can really support a, a million different use cases and a whole lot of you know configuration and possibilities which is great but if you have you know the you know a, a really small use case it's like trying to i don't know kill a bug with a cannon or something <laughs> yeah
1: i mean i i would say that's that's kind of true you can make it pretty simple and they have like a, a tool now that like you can use to, to kind of build it out, right? Stately it's called stately.ai oh. that you can actually use to kind of do this using a state chart, and then you export that into straight into X state. But yeah, even with that, I was still failing. I'm not exactly like a, a state machines expert by any means. I mean, most everything I build, it's something like, okay, I don't know how to do that, but <laughs> I'm going to figure it out because you
2: know, it's the best way. To yeah, learn. that's my job for sure yo i I do want to say i am a massive fan of launch darkly and of feature flags in general we actually did like kind of two different episodes about launch darkly slash feature flags i'm a just tremendous fan
1: oh that's (laughs) why i'm here i'm only here because like yeah
0: (laughs) brian ticked everything off so he talked about spelt for adam yep right so spelt (laughs) yeah spelt's like his his jam he talked about launch darkly for ben you talk about prototyping, which is like pretty much what I do for my company. I build a prototype to sell something.
2: Now we just got to talk about a cold fusion. And I think we uh, we hit all the high points.
0: Yeah, yeah, we just okay. did. There all you right. go. We talked about cold fusion. Perfect. There you go. We're done now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and never should it come up again. <laughs> 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 all right, seems like a good place to pivot. So, how about the state of developer conferences? So, Brian, if you could, for you know, of course, we will put a link to your blog post in the show notes, but if you could, for the the listeners, maybe give us the, the TLDR. Yeah, so the TLDR, okay, I'll try and make it short, is basically
1: <laughs> I'm worried about the s- current state of conferences. I think we've seen a handful of, not too many yet, but a handful of conferences kind of call it quits this year already. And my speaking to organizers and, you know, just kind of surveying the state of the conferences I've attended or, or read about, I am concerned that many of the smaller conferences, more of the community-led type ones, even if they're run by a company, like the smaller, kind of independent, not run by like Microsoft or Amazon or whatever, that those are are not in good shape. And we may actually see a number of them call it quits this year.
3: Mm. It's concerning.
1: As somebody who likes to
3: attend these events.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'd say given my background in events, I know a lot of people who organize these events and given being in DevRel, I get to attend a lot of events and
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I just, I, I've i been spending last year since or so since they kind of opened up, like talking to people, like see how things are going because I've run conferences for many years and even ran one right before COVID, which... You know, nearly killed me. But I'm always like, oh, maybe I'll get back into like running a an in-person event again. And the more I kind of dug into how things were going, the more I was like, no, I am staying far away right now. (laughs) You know, so because it's just things are not, not in good shape. A lot of a lot of events are down about based on my talks to people, most events are down still down about 40%. From where they were pre-COVID, wow. even though everybody thinks like event in-person events are back, they're not the attendance they used to be. That, combined with the fact that many of them are still under venue contracts that existed before COVID, that just kind of got delayed, which means that they have they've they're kind of locked into deals that weren't are not necessarily advantageous for a smaller event. If you're down forty percent, it's it's that's you're already locked in hit. on the
3: catering bill and.
1: Yeah, you probably, you have a catering minimum, you probably have a room, you know, like a guarantee, room mm-hmm. guarantee for a certain number of rooms, you have, you know, you've paid for space that's probably ex- in excess of what you need, you know, so it, it's it's kind of, and I also think even the events that may not be locked into those contracts have keep expecting things to come back, and it just really hasn't come back because we keep thinking we're more or less back to semi-normal, but it's that a chunk of the audience just seems to have disappeared from mm-hmm. in-person events and decided
2: not to come back. Hmm. I, I know that when I first started going to conferences, maybe like 15 years ago, I, I, you talked about this in your article a bit, that I just assumed that the ticket sales paid for everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I paid when I went to CF United in, in Bethesda, Maryland, I think I paid like $900 for my ticket or something, which was like, at, at that time in my life especially it was like an ungodly amount of money and i only you know in the subsequent years have learned that 900 for a ticket is actually like pretty reasonable sometimes i mean some of yep. these tickets can be like two three thousand dollars i think for for bigger conferences so to me i'm it, it i just assumed it was all ticket sales and just to learn about how much everything at a conference costs i mean if you look at just the you know Naively, you look and say, Oh, you're just using the event space. Like, why? Like, the hotels, that's like just gravy for them. They make all their money off of rooms, I would assume. But, but the event space and like all the, like everything is controlled by unions and cans of soda are like $6. And you talked about Mm -hmm. the coffee being super expensive. I mean, it's just, I think that's going to be really, really surprising for, for most people who don't have to think about that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So, like, I mean, yeah, I mentioned the cup of coffee and actually Eric Meyer, who, who ran what was it called? An event apart. He was one of the organizers of an event apart. That's one of the events that called the quits. He he commented to me on Mastodon. He's like, he's like, yeah, you said you said it was cost as, as much as that kind of crappy cup of black coffee you've got would cost as much as Starbucks latte. And he's like, but it actually costs more, which is part <laughs> of the problem. Like you know, and I mean the coffee's bad and it's it's <laughs> it's insanely expensive. So, you know, that that's yeah. like a tiny little cup. Of black coffee and it's like eight eight dollars each cup basically yeah, because nuts. you have to pay for like the service and you have to pay for all that i mean it's it's that's they will often give you the space for free or at a nominal fee because okay well you can have these rooms for free but then you have to guarantee x amount in in food and drink and and plus you you know and then a room guarantee if you're in a hotel or whatever, so things like that where that that is where they make their money is off the food and off off the rooms obviously the the space is is often yeah. a loss lead like they don't they don't really get take anything off the space, and then you're locked into like you know you have to use their food and then you have to use their partner for for a v and and mm-hmm. all these things are excessively expensive i you know I would often run things in outside of conference venues because because of how expensive they were but you know it's often the only place that you can really run an event of certain size like if you want an event once you get over like 300 people you start running out of places that can host you that aren't a conference venue if you want multiple rooms running at the same time that's often really difficult to find at at a non-conference venue and then you Have the added thing, like as an organizer, there's a lot you have to do already. And if you run it at some kind of other venue, oftentimes it's like, well, now a lot of things that I would just normally go straight to the venue and say, hey, you know, they're taking care of food, they're taking care of, you know, when stuff gets shipped for sponsors that has to be there days before because you want to be able to ship it ahead of time, they're going to take care of that. They're going to, you know, all like there's a ton of like little things that you don't even think about Then all of a sudden it. Becomes it lands on you as the organizer to have to manage all those different pieces. So yeah, you you save a lot of money, but you're also the burden is really high to run that event.
0: Yeah, I, I've ran a few conferences myself, been on the steering committee on several, but for com- like being a sponsor of a, of a conference. So we did one in Las Vegas as a sponsor, and we wanted to have a beer garden, right. So it was a conference in Las Vegas, and when the the, the actual sponsor floor, the, the vendor floor was open for like two days, so it was like $40,000 just to have the booth, and then another $20,000 just to serve the beer on those two mm. days. But to be honest, we are the only place in the entire conference serving beer, and we started at like 11 a.m. in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> and so we, we I mean, we only got two leads, but those two leads totally paid for themselves within that year. And they're like, you know, they'll be customers for years. So, That's nice. wow. it, you know, it's a lot of, it was a lot for me. It felt like a lot of money, but to be honest, in the long run, it, it was worth it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was at reInvent and we sponsored reInvent and our our booth at reInvent was insane. And, you know, the amount of money I I can't share with you, but I know what our budget was and you'd be like floored. <laughs> And yet, from like a sponsor standpoint, certain events like like reinvent like they they tell us every year it's like, yeah, yeah, we spent a lot, but we're gonna spend more next year because we still made money off that event mm-hmm. so you know they really i mean that's that that's a lot like dependent on the event right so and, that, and I think it's it's harder to sell those community events, which are really it's like much more developer focused in a way than like a reinvent it's not a marketing event um. Yeah, and and I think developers go there for something different than they go to, like, a reInvent. You know, one of the things I found odd about reInvent is is nobody had a problem. Like, everybody was there to be sold. They didn't have a problem with me selling to them. That was what they were there for. They're like, they went, it was like they go to the expo, basically, to go shopping. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the community events, it's, it's a bit of a different atmosphere, right? Like, the, the developers there are often, like, you know, not the decision makers from a purchasing standpoint. Right. So... A very different audience. And, and I, I kind of wonder. So I,
0: I have a theory, and I'm going to run this past you, Brian, because I'm probably wrong. I usually am, and <laughs> our listeners tell me constantly how wrong I am. So I, I think with developers, you know, we went through this period with with COVID, and everyone kind of just got really, really comfortable with staying at home, and we had a lot of conferences online, and we just consumed them online, or we got a recording of it later, or whatever. I, I just get this feeling that developers in particular are more prone to just be like, well, you know what? We, we had conferences online and they're pretty much free. So why do you need to travel anywhere? I really don't want to go anywhere, anywhere anyway. So I'm just going to stay home. And if you're going to make me come to like mingle with people in Las Vegas or, you know, in Boston or Washington, DC, I'm really not that interested. So I'll pass until I find a, a, a conference that's just going to cater to me just, being an introvert and staying home—is I mean, there any truth to that, or just is that just my imagination?
1: I think there's some truth to it. First of all, I, I got to distinguish between like I'm when I talk about the state of developer conference, I'm mostly talking about like the non like reinvent. I'm not talk- reinvent yeah. was nearly at what it was pre-COVID this last year. So I don't know what reinvent think, is. So that's the AWS one. Yeah. So like AWS. build, I think is the same kind of like these 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 big corporate events are are doing. Generally fine. I mean, reinvent was at like seventy thousand people. So, which I think think, pre pre COVID (laughs) it was like eighty. So,
3: AWS has so much money they could just you know pay people to come in attendance in the seats.
1: (laughs) True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think half of them were employees. But no, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Well, yeah. So, so I am speaking specifically of like independent events like not mark not these big mark corporate marketing Mm -hmm. events which seem to be doing okay but there is some truth to that and that's kind of like where i get to my theory of like what's happening is that i feel like some of the audience so okay if you go back in the day and you you know or even you know i guess pre-covid think about when you went to a conference typically you'd go to the room like the here's there's the session room and you'd have a bunch of people like Let's say you had a 15 minute break before the session. There'd be a bunch of people who just went in there, sat, grabbed their seat. I'm gonna sit here, wait for the content. And those people often, at least from an organizer standpoint, like I would see, those were the same people who generally, as soon as the event, the sessions are over, they they went back to the hotel room, they went home, whatever. They were there purely for the content, right? And I mm-hmm. kind of guesstimated like it was about. of the audience. And this, by the way, this is true for meetups too when I ran the meetup here. So we had a pretty big meetup and it was like we'd get anywhere from 100 to 200 people for this meetup and we'd have like, you know, about 40% of the group just come grab a seat, wait for the talk. As soon as the talk was over, they they book it out and not hang around and chat with anybody. And then you had the the other people who came, they wanted to network. They were there to meet people. They were there to like, you know, just have that interaction and, and stuff. Hire people. And, yeah. And those those people have come back. That's my theory. Those people have all mm-hmm. come back because I go to these events now and I'm like, where I even run the local meetups and stuff. And it's like, okay, I used to have to kind of encourage people, hey, why don't you <laughs> talk to other people? And now it's like, you know, everybody's chatting. Everybody shows up to the social mm-hmm. event. It's like, okay, you know, there's not the, the people who, who would rather be home. So I'm at my Kind of theory was that that those people are the ones who came back, the ones who really needed that interaction, and everybody else who feels like, "Hey, I could go to an online event. I can watch YouTube now, and like, I get exactly what I needed out of this, which is just the content without the hassle and the expense." Has decided they're just not going to go. And and for what it's worth, like this post is kind of a year in the making, and because I've been going to events for like a year. Plus, let's say, whenever, as soon as events started opening back up, and I would talk to organizers constantly and be like, because I know them from my, you know, work as an organizer myself, and I'm like, I'd ask them how things were going, what, how's, you know, what were they expecting, how, how much were they down, because I was thinking about getting back in myself, and I'm just like, okay, seeing what, how they're doing, and I would even, I pass this theory around with organizers for, for ages, and every one of them's like, you know, I can't. There's no way to be sure, but that sounds mm. pretty, like it, ha- it has a lot of like potential truth to it. And then that post went out, and I've had organizer after organizer sharing it, saying everything he says here is exactly what I've I'm been experiencing. And I thought it was a U.S. thing, but for the most part, it's like I've I've heard from people in Latin America, from Asia, like who oh, shared the post and been like, "Yeah, same same thing here."
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. So anecdotally, I can tell you, so our very first, so in 2021, we went back to our first trade show as a, as a sponsor and I got the feeling and it's like, cause I would like say people would come in, we talk to them and say who, you know, who you with. We found there was a whole lot of like the salespeople. It was like, it was like all salespeople at the show. There was no buyers. (laughs) There were no buyers there because they're like the salespeople, like we just want to get back on the road. They were itching that it's like a year and a half. Almost two years they hadn't been going anywhere. They just want to get out there because they felt useless. Right? It's like they've been doing year a year and a half of like online Zoom calls to try to do sales, and they're like, we just want to go to a okay. show, and and that's kind of the feeling I got. And, and I, I'm I mean, I didn't go to any shows in 2022. I will this year, but yeah, I sort of got that feeling like, it's like it was like just we just want to get the engine going again. But pretty much like last year was. I just got the feeling that there's a whole lot of salespeople talking to salespeople and not a whole lot of buyers or, or consumers of, of the
1: product. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean that that could be I I've I've seen a lot of like the DevRel folks are are there. They're at all these events and they're like the events are not short on people applying to speak. That's the other mm-hmm. oddity. But that's because the people applying to speak are like DevRel folks who thrive on that. Interaction mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and for what's worth, the other side of this coin is that is that the virtual events are down too. So all those people, who, really, like who, yeah, who wanted to go to virtual events, like I saw my events spike up in uh, you know during COVID big time, and it's dropped a lot. That not just drop, but the behavior is different too. Like people will come, like few uh, people will sign up, but most of them watch the recording. Like fewer people come <laughs> wow. live. And most of them are watching the recordings. They're not, they're not even attending the live version of the event, which is a d- distinct difference from how things were for a while. I, I, mm. I could predict how many people we'd more or less get. As an example, like I had, you know, I ran one in January, a virtual conference, and we were down about 40% in, in actual tickets, like basic people pre registering for the event. We had the exact same number like we had one more person attend live than last year i mean that's a <laughs> s- substantially like but so lots of people buying tickets and then now we've had a lot more people watching the recording so you know it's like the, all those people who signed up last year didn't show up are actually now like waiting and just watching the recordings do you, do you charge for the recordings i'm charged for any of that i i, I oh. learned last year you know, during COVID, you could get away with charging for a virtual event. Now it's like pff, who's, I, nobody's gonna pay for a virtual event. I, I mean, I hate to say <laughs> it. Like, I know some people still charge, and occasionally people who still pay. But it's it's really it's it's not a an easy thing. So I basically get sponsors and to cover gotcha. the costs that are associated with the virtual event and make it free. Do
2: you think that there's an age component here at all? And and I mean that only because the. The tech industry, web development, maybe more specifically, you know, started in, in like the 90s and we were all relatively young when, when we were going to conferences. And, and, I, and I only bring this up because I think about it now, if I want to go to a conference or even just a meetup like that, I don't have anything local. When I go to meetup.com and I look for stuff, it's all like two and a half hours away. Like it would be a, I'd have to get a hotel room to go to a meetup. And I think about like, I got to leave my family and and the dog and then like my wife has to take care of the dog. And it's like leaving has a lot more weight than it did, you know, 10 years ago when, when nobody cared what I did. And uh, I don't know if it's just like there's a certain population of people who are not, I don't want to say aging out of going to conferences, but just that conferences have more of a, of, of a weight to them than they did before.
0: You know, this new generation is constantly cycling in.
2: No, I know, but they're they're (laughs) they're a generation that likes to watch movies on their phone. I mean, they're they're dummies. I can't, you know, I can't.
1: Wait, Wait,
0: hold on!
2: Don't talk about kids that way. (laughs) (laughs) It was fight Uh, words.
1: Yeah. I hope your editor figures out a way to (laughs) edit.
0: No, no, that's staying in. That's staying in. Ben hates young people. Ben hates young people.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so I thought you were um, the one that wanted haters.
1: I, I I think you're right in one sense. Somebody commented, like I got I got a feedback on that the post, but and it's not it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. Not that people are mm-hmm. aging out. So we we had so much hiring, so many new developers in the past five years. A lot of them kind of came into the industry more or less during these COVID years. That like suddenly. They never, they never got to go to conferences. It was not yeah. even a thing mm-hmm. for them. Like so, so their theory was that a lot of these people just figured, like, eh, what's the big deal? I'm not going to go. You well, know, I don't and, know and, if that's the case, but
2: to it, some it, degree, it, you know, when I say people watch movies on their phone, but like, like that's kind of what I mean is, is, is that there's a generation now of kids who, who learning from a media screen is is not just one of the ways they do it. It's almost like. The only way they the only know how way. to do it, yeah.
1: Primary, yeah, yeah. I mean that that could be. I, I ribbed you for that, Ben, but
0: honestly, it's like I'm thinking of my son right now. You know, he's like taking these cybersecurity courses. Everything he's done has been 100 percent online. He's not gone to one class, and he's got like certificates for like cybersecurity, and none of it has been in-person classes. And so, I, I think, I think there is the generation coming up. They're like. I don't really understand what the benefit of going, hanging out with a bunch of people at a bar and talking about code would be because I've never done it.
1: I, I think that there's possible possibility that that's true. And that would actually be a theory you could sort of test relatively easily because events yeah. kind of know the demographics of who attends. And if the, if they could see if the demographics are trending older, then that would be, you know, validation of that idea. I mean, it's it's possible. I, it's really, I I can't say for sure what the reasoning is. I think we, you know, we're we going to have to like, well, okay, I'll say two things. One one thing is, first of all, that it's always easy when an event succeeds to kind of pick out why it has succeeded. I can tell you, mm-hmm. I run a lot of events, knowing why an event failed is really difficult because you can't ask mm-hmm. the people who didn't show up why they didn't show up, right? And so... It often is very difficult to figure out what why people aren't coming, and so you're left kind of you know throwing things at the you know at the wall trying to see what sticks to to draw people next time so so I don't know that we will ever really quite know what's happened i I kind of feel like at this point we have to adjust to a new reality, which is of smaller events. Um I think people are looking for something different out of these events because they're more more interested in that interaction and that networking aspect. And so the content, while it's important, it's always been what we led with before. It's like, come here, see the speaker. Right. But it really, I think a lot of people are coming there. Yeah, I want to see that speaker, but I mostly want to see people and mm. and kind of network and stuff like that. So so maybe we got to lean into that a little bit and and adjust the events I- to be a bit different in the way they are formatted. And
0: I hope so because I mean, honestly, let's let's look at the situation here. All three of you, I know from conferences. Yeah, I, yeah. I would not. I would not. I wouldn't be on this podcast had I not met Adam. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Adam. Well, maybe he would have got Ben because Ben's like a prolific blogger. But it's like, and and Brian, the only time I've ever met you was at conferences. So it's like, yeah. I, I hope this doesn't go away because I, I, I think it's a super important aspect of yeah. of. Of our life and you know introverts people think that they're, they're anti-social they're not they just need something in common to talk about they it's like they don't want to just talk for talking sake like extroverts do if we have like we're hey we're talking about hey i have this problem with sms what have you done tim okay yeah i can talk all day about all the crap i've dealt with with texting messages <laughs> and so that unites us right we have something we have a united goal to talk about and that we don't feel like we're just talking for talking sake. So I just really hope this doesn't go away. If we, whatever tweaks we need to make to conferences, I hope we can make them so that we can actually be in person again and get that because nothing beats that. I mean, seriously, yeah, nice. if, you're, if you're just on a zoom call with 500 people, you don't see, most of them don't turn the screens on. And it's like, you just, you're watching a recording and there's no interaction. And it's just, there's there's lost opportunity there. So, Brian,
3: fix it for us. Figure out how we figure out how we can make the in-person so, conferences cool again. I, I think that for me, the the value proposition of of conferences was always twofold, right? So, I would get my employer to pay to send me to a conference. They would pay for my airfare and my ticket. Yep. And, and I think the ticket usually included food, right. And, and for per diem or per diem, it depended on where I was working at the time. And then usually I would sweeten the deal by like trying really hard to submit a talk and, and get picked to speak so that then my, at least my room would be covered if not, you know, more than that. So that was good for the company because a, if I was speaking, you know, it's getting our name out there, maybe it would help us with hiring, but at the very least from their perspective, I'm learning something, right. I'm there, I'm getting training. You know, there's, they might be spending $2,000 for me to be gone for a weekend. You know, I'm not even gone on work hours. I might miss like a half day on Friday or something for travel, but, you know, so that's their value. And for me, the value was always the hallway track. Like you were talking about, Tim, Mm -hmm. you know, meeting people, making connections, learning who's doing interesting things, who can I latch onto and suck value out of for the rest of their (laughs) life, Uh, (laughs) invite them on my podcast later. Um, <laughs> and that's, I think for me, that's the most devastating thing about the idea of conferences going away. Like maybe it's, maybe it's the millennial in me. I'm, I'm think I'm on the younger side of our generation and, and gray area millennial or not, but you know, I, I like YouTube content from conferences because I can watch it at 2X or because I can rewind it and rewatch it or I can turn on the closed captions if I can't quite follow somebody's accent or something. I, I mean, that's not to say anything negative about in person events, I think that they just are different modes of learning. But what I think is interesting to ask in this moment is Brian, you know, you've talked about how you have had conversations with so many different organizers and they all see the same thing going on. I have to imagine that all of them are trying to figure out what that they what they can do to provide value that an attendee can't get from an online conference. Mm that You know, what can they do to sweeten the deal on the hallway track or other, you know, in per, ha, some sort of activity that has to be in person that's not just like come hang out with a speaker? You know, what are the, have you seen any patterns or interesting ideas? You know, I, I talk a lot about a conference called That Conference, which is... It happens heard of in it. Wisconsin.
1: They have one in Texas now too. Though that one's really small. Um, but there are other ones like this that are trying to do things slightly different. They've been doing this for years, but it's just like build a community around our event, you know, and and see if if that generates like a kind of loyalty out of people that they keep coming back. That one in particular like does something where like you can bring your whole family, and it's like they have event they have sessions for kids and. And for mm. you know, so you, you're encouraged to bring your family to that event, which is also kind of different. I mean, I think there those are that that's like one creative idea.
2: Wasn't there a Rhea Cruz or something? Like in a like a <laughs> <concert laughs> years ago. Cool. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Joshua
3: Sear, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Josh Sear. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, that that would cause that's hard to convince my I still gotta get my employer to pay for it. And unlike you, Adam, right. I actually like I'm like and I'd rather it be during the week because then I yeah. don't have to work.
3: But okay, um. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would rather it be during the week too. But it the, the just happened to fall on the weekend.
1: Yeah, but I think I think they're thinking about it. It's it's not that easy to shift course on these things because because typically they're planning the next one before you know almost as yeah. soon as the last one ended and. And so you're kind of got this machine rolling, and you know, particularly if that's really like a business for you, it, it's not that easy. But I don't know. I mean, and to, to be clear, I'm not saying conferences are going away. I think we're going to have fewer, mm-hmm. particularly of the smaller ones. And and I I feel like that's why I worry is because the big ones, I go I go to the big ones, and I don't I don't generally meet anybody. The only people yeah. I meet mm-hmm. might be are generally people I already know because it's so hard to find anybody there. It's these smaller events that I I think are like if if well I think we all met at CF United or CF Objective, Heck you know, you. one of the two years ago, and if those had been forty thousand people, I don't know that we would have met, you know. Yeah. But, oh. but because they were eight hundred to a thousand people, like that gives us the opportunity to meet people, mm-hmm. you know. So those are the events I worry about.
2: That's something that I think about a lot, which is that I I often wonder, and I don't know if this is just my own perception of the world coming from CFML, that the, the technology world just used to feel much more cozy. Like everyone did jQuery. So when you went to a jQuery conference, like you knew people because you knew them from online and like people writing jQuery plugins and you were, you knew them from that. And and, and I don't know, now it just feels like there's so many different technologies and so many different areas of interest. There's not that, there's just not that coziness. And I don't, it feels, I don't know, it just feels very big.
3: All these new people are like notifications in your inbox, Ben. You don't, you
2: don't want to touch them. <laughs> I just have to <laughs> ignore them.
3: Hey, you're going to be the hot,
1: hot wire evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> I think things are more siloed, and and Mm. and some of the events that seem to be doing okay are like geared towards very niche. Like, okay, I'm only for this. You know, I and I'm I. That also makes me sad, but that's a whole other topic. Which is just that, like, you know, we we used to have a lot of web development conferences, for instance, and now it's all like, you know, oh, framework this conference going like back, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know those, that, that to me, is like, it keeps me in my bubble. Doesn't teach me something. I mean, like I learned more, maybe more about this one tool that I use, but it doesn't introduce me to tools I might never have thought about using. But yeah.
0: yeah. I, I see at the conference I want to see, and I, I told Adam, he had like a last year, the, the like, what are our goals? I want to work in code dev conference where we all just we all just go to Cabo we go to Cabo like San this. Lucas we we were in a big house like all the old crew that we used to hang out with all of us just show up and we all present on some crap doesn't matter we'll just you know tell our employers like yeah I'm speaking at this conference and uh, yeah we hang out for like three days in Cabo and
3: so I mean we have our yeah. organizer right here
1: <laughs> for sure yeah 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 well, so I think this sounds like, a, sounds like a great idea. I'd love to be there. I don't know how mm. the sponsors would feel about this. Like, <laughs> uh, show up, yeah, they show I'm up sure it's like, we... there's like 10 of you. What's going on here? This is no, not... no. Come on. <laughs> I'm, sure,
0: I'm sure we get at least 100.
1: Oh, 100. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 100.
0: <laughs> okay. Houston Reactor will sponsor it. Come on. Yeah.
3: <laughs> to to sign up, you have to show your old blog posts from early on in exactly. the CF community. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. God. Those... I, the,
1: Okay. I wouldn't even be able to go now because my old blog posts have long, I retired the archive.org, right, man? Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, you know, it's crazy too, like as total side note, but like I I was looking, I was redoing my blog recently when this is part of like my, my thing for this year was start blogging again, which is what led to this post and other stuff lately. Which blew Uh, up, by the way. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. That yeah, it's been fun like like it's just writing for me again instead of just writing for work. But yeah, so that blog is already old and it doesn't have any of my stuff from my CFML days. So, I haven't quite been blogging as long as Ray Camden with his 20 years of blogging, but I'm I'm not that yeah. far behind him.
3: No. So. It's
1: been a so, long time.
3: Y- your your blog doesn't have comments on it. How do you keep track of like who yeah
1: haters
3: (laughs) you just delete every comment how do you keep track of what people are saying and and where it's being talked about or you know like do you yeah some people dm me with with
1: like here you're you're you're." (laughs) exactly now you know i i i've lost track of that a lot especially because now i'm not on twitter at all other than i just for dms i don't i don't actually so so yeah i i've I lost track of a lot of that. It's mostly like this one got a lot on LinkedIn. It was in newsletters and people would let say, Hey, I saw this, you know, here or, you know, I'd see it on Mastodon, which is the only place I'm really on social, like for social media anymore. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I speaking of that, I have a blog post sitting there, like ready to talk about, like to, to write. That's my week. This weekend is like, how do you do DevRel without Twitter? Because it's been there uh-huh. since day one. Safer with and, the after show. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, that'll Oof.
3: be an interesting thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's really, it does. It's actually that that's been impactful. So I I don't know the conversation that's going. I I other than people hearing about it, I decided to disable comments because honestly, I never got any, and it was a pain in the butt, and I don't feel like. Well, building. Ben does, but they're mostly hate mail. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean. It's comments about, the
1: about your twenty-year-old pictures that are up at the top. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, going back to the idea that the world used to feel much more cozy. It also just feels like, even online, there used to be more engagement, and now it's it's like a ghost town compared to what it used to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. It
2: depends. I don't on know if it's a are, ghost I town.
0: I
1: think that I think there's just a lot more s- noise to signal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I you know it is it's it is a weird time. I, I don't completely disagree with you. I think there's a lot going on. It's just not, it's not necessarily what to, you want. The, yeah. There's, there's like less value to the conversations that are going on, which is why I don't miss Twitter. Honestly, because it turns out for sure. Those conversations were were not good.
3: So yeah, yeah. they were not building anyway. me up. They do not yeah. spark joy. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Let's Marie Kondo that stuff.
2: Yep. Hey, let me ask one question before we. It sounds like we're, we're wrapping up here, but I I yep. kind of in the middle of the pandemic, I was listening to an interview with a guy who was talking about wanting to start his own event company, and he was talking about how expensive it was to be at a hotel and and kind of to Tim's joking point about going to Cabo or wherever it was. You're like, oh, we could just rent like a mansion and host a couple hundred people or something, and he looked into it. And he's like, Oh, like immediately up front, I need to get five million dollars in liability insurance <laughs> to be able to have five hundred people in a house. <laughs> and he's like, That's a no go from the start. When you host an event at a at a hotel, I do are they handling all of the liability insurance, or do you as an organizer have to bring insurance with you?
1: You have to bring insurance. So like when I've done this through companies, they their company like corporate insurance policy often covered it, mm-hmm. but from an organizer standpoint, I don't know how it is renting a house because I've never looked into that. But any other venue, like even for my meetup, we often, be, because a lot of, even that's become more difficult to get venues, we actually have to show insurance. Really? And what you a you, what you, Oh, that's bananas. Yeah. It's, yeah. Things have changed for that too. We could have a whole other mm-hmm. show about that. But yeah, there's places that will sell you one-time insurance policies that are like actually super, super cheap. So you just huh. pay like, yeah. You know, it's like a hundred bucks and it covers, you know, they're like, do you, how many people are, you're going to have alcohol, uh, a couple of questions. and It's like, okay, here's your policy for that particular oh, event. That's pretty cool. That that part's not a big deal. It, you know, it'll go, that price goes, ranges depending on the nature of the event and what you're doing, but but it's it's really not that bad.
0: Usually it costs, less than the cost of the pizza you're buying for
1: everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely less than the food. Yeah.
3: For sure. sure. (laughs) Okay, this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Hotwire. Look for your neighborhood Ben (laughs) Nadell Hotwire evangelist coming soon. And listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs. We couldn't do this every week without them. A special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. But I did also this week want to just throw out a special thank you to everybody that supports at that minimum level. There's a bunch of you, you know who you are. And I just want to say we appreciate you because having a lot of people support at a small amount brings a lot of stability, right? That way, because people have to come and go and we don't begrudge you that, you know, we've had patrons come and go over the years and and, we're just happy that you ever thought enough of us to give us a little bit of your money. For even a small amount of time. So we totally understand if you need to go, no hard feelings, but by having a lot of people supporting at that minimum $4 a month level, that just brings stability to the amount of money that we have and, and helps us forecast and spend appropriately. So we really appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. And you know, if you were thinking, if you were on the fence, you know, $4 a month from you doesn't doesn't seem like it would help much, but actually it really does. So if you're on the fence, please consider patreon.com slash working code pod. Hey and
0: it's tax season. so if you get a tax refund and you want to do a yearly, we have a yearly subscription,
3: which is a discount but will help us out a lot. Your homework this week I'm going to once again I'm once again asking you to leave us a review. okay, okay Bernie. <laughs> to leave us a review on Apple podcasts, go to workingcode.dev/ review and that will take you to Apple Podcasts in your local what TLD I guess if that makes sense and you can leave us a review there. And we would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. Until then. Remember, your heart matters. Join us in Cabo and drink our $10 Cokes.
2: You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.